welcome back to our final episode of season two of the Proverbial Pals. It's been an exciting season. Just as exciting as the horns come in. Uh, it's been so good to have you guys stick around uh, this season. Keep turning up audibly each week. Uh, we've been super encouraged by that. Um, if this is your first ever episode you've tuned in for, then oh boy, you have missed some serious content. Uh, not just from this season's Why Christian's So Weird kind of material, uh, but also a cracking Easter special earlier this year as well. Once again, I am graced to be within the presence of one of the greatest minds ever, some have called him. A man whose philosophical introspections runneth deep. One whom could sit amongst the company of the greats and not be ashamed, although probably would due to his deep humility and desire to see others around him uplifted. This man, nay. Man is too simple a word to describe him. This physical manifestation of theological interpretation is one who sits in the circle with the big dogs of philosophical history. Plato, Socrates, Kanye West, Aristotle, Pythagoras is, of course, my boy, the co-founder and co-heir to the proverbial powers, my boy, Mikey Mike, on the mic. Give him a big round of applause. Thanks, Nick. It's wonderful to be here in, the pre- in your presence. Um, and I had to, throughout that intro, I had to remove the mic away from my mouth so I wouldn't be laughing as you uh, doused me in compliments far greater than I could ever expect. So thank you so much. But yet not enough. Not enough praise is given to you, my friend. I I think that's, first of all, that's true. And second of all, um, (laughs) I think we might have to retire these intros now because I don't think that can be possibly top. So uh, yeah, if you have, yeah, thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. It's my pleasure. Uh, We thought we'd go out on a bit of a different Note to cap off this season, Uh, we've been talking about why Christians are weird, uh, some of the things they do which are are different, makes people think that they are strange, Mm. Um, and whilst there are many more elements to Christians which are pretty weird, um, (laughs) or countercultural would be another way to phrase that, uh, we wanted to end at one of the wealthiest places in human history, human knowledge and understanding, we've been talking about Frequently asked questions according to Google. Uh, we typed in very, start typing things into Google, you know, why Christians, and it'll give you a stack of recommended kind of responses or things that lots of people have asked before. Uh, we're going to roll through quite a few of these today. Uh, more serious than others. You could say um, that. And some of them, look, I guess we'll just jump in. Let's, let's, have, a, let's have a quick look at what Google says or what, People have been asking Google uh, questions about Christianity. We might give uh, some of our, our, our five cents worth on that. Sounds good. All right, let's dive in. Uh, first, cap off the rank, first question straight off the, uh, off the Google recommended or Google suggestions is uh, why Christians eat pork? I'm surprised that's the first one, but... Uh, I guess you may have asked yourself why Christians may follow some laws from the Bible and some they don't. Uh, and like, if God has changed his mind on the laws that we have to follow, and one of those being about eating certain foods, and in this case, pork, 
Um, so Malachi 3.6, God himself declares that I, the Lord, do not change. Also, the writer of Hebrews states that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That's from chapter 13, verse 8. Uh, so you may have even heard non-Christians say, wait a minute, there's a lot of stuff in Leviticus, which is an Old Testament book, that God said was wrong, but today you Christians say it's okay. And to be fair, that's a valid response. However, it's important to be aware that scholars of all theological varieties agree that the laws of the Old Testament fall into three categories, the ceremonial laws, the hygienic laws, and the moral laws. So the ceremonial laws were specific to the Jewish temple and to the worship of God in that temple, and these laws clearly do not apply to Christians today. Next up, uh, the hygienic laws were given to God, uh, were given to protect God's people from things that were bad for them. For example, in the Old Testament, eating pork was forbidden because at the time there were diseases that were deadly. And thankfully, those laws do not apply today, and we can freely add bacon to our burgers. How good. Yeah, and then the laws that don't change are the moral laws. So those would be laws that would violate God's standards and for the order of the universe he created. These laws are unchanging because they reflect the mind of God whose character and mind do not change. So I hope that answers the question about why Christians can eat pork. So, Michael, you're telling me that I can, I could go and eat pork now? You can, but I know your dietary requirements mean that you probably shouldn't, because <laughs> uh, I've heard some stories. Yeah, just, just because you can eat pork doesn't mean that you should, especially if you have an intolerance towards it. No, I feel like it's never good to eat things that you're intolerant to. No, that's true. Hmm. The second question off the list is, why Christians fast? Now, I understand some Christians are slow, but I don't think it's talking about a speed-related here thing. No. Would you unpack this one for us? Sure. So, yes, some of some of us are fast and some of us are slow in terms of running. That's what I was going with that. Uh, anyway, so Christians fast in order to seek God through petition, discernment, or lament. Um, abstaining from food and drink is only half the equation. Uh, a spiritual fast is in, in that intimately linked to the spiritual disciplines of prayer and scripture reading. Without combining these spiritual practices, fasting is just a diet. Sometimes fasting is appropriate because we enter in periods of uh, wet grief or waiting, and, it's, and abstaining from food can also help us to drive us to God's word for nourishment and helps us to concentrate on something beyond physical gratification. It redirects our attention from ourselves to God. It helps us, it helps us to feed our spirit while denying our flesh, and scripture becomes medicine and sustenance rather than a plate piled high with food. Um, and also it's biblical. So uh, at times in the Bible when people needed discernment, they fasted as a way of uh, drawing closer to God. So Acts 14, 23, verse 23 says, Paul and Bar- Barnabas appointed elders for them in each church and with prayer and fasting committed them to the Lord in whom they had put their trust. Have you ever fasted before? I don't think so. I I liked. Oh, I mean, intermittent fasting, but I wouldn't cancel. I wouldn't. I wouldn't class that as a fast. It's more just I don't eat until lunchtime. <laughs> is, is that considered a fast? Maybe. So you do it for you have fasted, but for diet reasons. Yeah, but I probably haven't fast. Oh, uh, and maybe like once or twice if I had to have like some medical thing. Okay, but, but not I, like a, not like a spiritual element to the fasting. No, no. But honestly, I, in in the last few months or so, I've thought about doing it just as a something to feel like, yeah, like during a period of a, of a valley, I feel like doing that to draw closer to God or feel like more reliance on Him rather than being like, yeah, no, I'm good. I'll just go along in a depth of for no reason. Yeah. What about yourself, Nick? Am I allowed to ask you that, or is 
You may ask me that, yes. Okay, great. And, and I am asking you. Uh, okay, yeah, I'm just clarifying. Um, no problem. No, no, I haven't fasted before. Although the more... I've had several friends who have done it and have been deeply encouraged by it. And so as a result, I have thought, should I do this? Probably. Haven't really found... It's it's a difficult... Like often, uh, I think a lot of churches will do it like collectively. Church behavior into a fast. And so you'll, you'll get people around you to yeah, do it. Yeah, which I guess if you've got encouragement from other people, that can make it easier. Mm. There can be, yeah, obviously obviously, there's more. When you've got more people doing it together, there is a greater sense of encouragement, there's a greater sense of joy when you get to be able to do these sort of things. So you know, like, maybe we should do it. Tag team, the pals on fast. The pals fast. We can, we can, we can, you let's know, workshop our name. We can workshop our name. Let's take that one offline. <laughs> Ugh, gross. So our next question, Nick, is why Christians shouldn't do yoga? Yes, it was an odd one. Uh, I looked into this one. I did the deep dives into Google and checked out a couple of resources online and what people were saying, why yoga was bad. My initial thoughts, I'm like, well, what is yoga? You break down kind of what yoga is. It's a combination of there's the physical movements kind of designed obviously for like strengthening the body coupled with, I guess that there is very much a spiritual kind of element to yoga. It's obviously come out of kind of Eastern traditions as well. So there's that, there is a spiritual element to it. There was, you know, a number of sources I checked out for reasons why Christians shouldn't do yoga. One website I found gave a, a number of reasons why yoga is bad. Our reasons were like the poses are offerings to the Hindu gods. However, you should try these Christian moves instead. <laughs> Which were suspiciously looked almost exactly the same. I was like, mm, they're not really doing a good job here. Um, there was another one that talked about, you know, yoga is... Which again, I was like, I don't think feelings are a bad thing. Like, it seems... It seemed to be a silly argument to me, that one. Mm. Um, I mean, to say feelings are bad is semi-ridiculous. Look, kind of leading me to the conclu- conclusion, which I think I was probably already at anyway. Thinking about, you know, is moving your body a bad thing? Well, No. We're told that our bodies are gifts in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Uh, therefore, we should look after the things that God has given us. So, you know, moving and maintaining our bodies is a good thing to do. Now, you know, the how we do that and the intentions behind that are things that are important for us to consider, I think. If you're doing yoga or yoga-like moves with the intention of, you know, worshipping Hindu gods, obviously like little g for gods, then this is a problem. However, being a Christian means that you don't have another God. Uh, so if you're doing yoga purely for a physical way to look after your body, uh, fantastic. I think that's a good thing to, to do. If you're doing it to try and be spiritual in a, in a non-Christian sense, I think then that becomes kind of problematic. Yeah, it seems to me that people have kind of taken a good thing, like moving your body, um, and kind of wrapped it in ungodly things. So this kind of spiritual, the spirituality, I guess, of, of the Eastern traditions. Does this mean we can discredit doing yoga and kind of those yoga movements because there's kind of some some bad stuff wrapped around it. I don't think we should discount that. Look, I could be wrong on this, but I think if you're not practicing some of the Eastern spiritual elements to yoga, it is fairly safe. Um, even like, it seems to be like yoga experts now kind of split yoga into two categories. There's like the physical yoga, which is 
you know, exclusively for the physical benefits. And there's what they call the real yoga, which is obviously the all about the spiritual enlightenment through what they're kind of doing as well. So it depends on which one you're doing. Obviously, we're not called to practice other religions. So if you're doing just the physical kind of thing, I think yoga is cool and it's it's good and healthy for your body. If you're wrapping in the Eastern traditions and the spirituality around it, that becomes problematic. But at the same time, you know, you can make arguments that going to the gym is a bad thing because people worship their bodies as a result. Well, no, going to the gym is not a bad thing. Looking after our bodies is a great thing to do. They yeah. say you can. They say you can do a lot in a five-minute workout. So, yep, you can do twelve five-minute workouts in an hour. That's true. That's maths. All right. So, Nick, the next question is: Why do Christians get baptized? Yep, this seems to be a more serious kind of one, I guess, compared to the the pork and the yoga kind of ones. <laughs> yep. Um, baptism is, a, yeah, I guess, more serious, but can be quite divisive even within the Christian churches, especially around like. You know, should people be baptized as as babies or as adults? Even, you know, really sound theological doctrine, like, you know, very solid Christians can disagree on this kind of thing. So I think refined down to the core what baptism is, is when someone is kind of dunked in the water and then kind of rises out again, which is symbolic of the salvation we've been given through Jesus, uh, where, you know, we're initially, we're sinful and we're spiritually dead, uh, but then we are raised to new life with the coming out of the water. So why do Christians do it? Uh, I think it's symbolic. Uh, we want to, I guess, publicly, publicly demonstrate what we believe, what we you know, want to show that we're serious about this whole Christian thing. So we, we kind of do these sort of, we do these things publicly. Other reasons we do it, when Jesus got baptized, Matthew 6, so not Matthew 6, Matthew 3 records that. Early Christians got baptized. You know, it's, it's seen as a really good tradition with godly intentions, so we keep it up. In Acts chapter 2, you know, Peter's addressing the crowd who feels the weight of their sin and they want to be saved and they want to be in right relationship with God. And so what does Peter tell them to do? He says, repent and be baptized. And I think when you really refine it down and simplify the definition of what a Christian is, a Christian is someone who has repented of their sins and kind of been baptized and raised to new life. Loads of examples in the New Testament of Christians getting baptized. But just to clarify, the water baptism whether it's as an infant or as an adult, um, or like if you've done it as an infant and you get, you do the confirmation as an adult, as part of the, the Anglican circle. I'm not sure what the Prezies do. You guys are infant Baptists or it not was. sure what, I mean, in the Anglican churches, we do infant baptisms. Oh, not even all the time. I mean, infant baptism is kind of usually done in Anglican churches. What do Prezies do? Yeah, Prezies, we have infant baptism, but uh, generally sometimes when people are older, they can, they can do like a, confirmation or like confession mm. of faith or something like that at some point like, yes yeah, we tend to do obviously you got like baptists who are you know only adult baptisms accepted or mm. they're not, not pro into the the infinite kind of thing yeah um in the, the day like the baptism of water isn't actually what saves someone it's the baptism of the holy spirit which is you know the literal it's the spirit of god which kind of washes over us um and when obviously when we call on god to like we, we say we're sorry and we repent and we seek forgiveness and, and want to be in right relationship with God. You know, we, we get the, we get that baptism of the Holy Spirit, I guess, on us at that kind of that stage. It's not dependent on whether we got, we get splashed with the water or not. The real setting baptism is the Holy Spirit kind of coming on us. Uh, the water one is just kind of symbolic of the, the spirit baptism that we get, which is why Christians do it. We want to show, we want to have like an outward showing of the fact we've been baptized and we're now saved.
Uh, yeah, not sure about this next one in terms of the seriousness of this question. <laughs> um, Google recommends why do Christians hate Garfield? So I did some research into this because I wasn't very familiar on why it was the case. For those who are unfamiliar, Garfield, the orange cat, the orange cartoon cat. Not to be confused with Andrew Garfield. Correct. He's well loved, I'm sure. So I found, uh, so the creator, uh, Jim Davis, explained that Garfield is very universal by virtue of being a cat. Really, he's not really male or female in any particular race or nationality, young or old. Uh, so this is this didn't cause any controversy at the time, but when Satiris of Virgil, Texas, great name, found the article and edited Garfield's wiki page accordingly, from male to none, the internet fought back. A wiki editor changed Garfield's gender back to male within an hour, and the war was on. It went back and forth from male to none repeatedly over 60 long hours. At one point, Washington Post noticed Garfield's religion was also changed to Muslim. <laughs> With editors weighing in with evidence, sorry, I'm doing air quotes because the article has it in it has it in quotes. So, with editors weighing in with evidence from old comic strips to argue their case, and that's the case of Garfield. All right, so Christians got upset because Garfield became non-gendered. Yes, well, I, well, I think the creator- so the cartoon cat, which has no real ties to anything, upset people. Yes, on both sides of the the argument, I guess. So. Yeah, uh, an interesting point in time. I believe it was 2017. There you go. Right, well, that's sad. Yes. Um, what, when I say yes? Well, it's me saying sad. Okay. H- hello, future Michael. Remember to cut <laughs> that bit out. Well, yeah, I guess it's a cartoon. And it's also not a Christian cartoon. Like I'm, I, I don't think Garfield is a Christian. So he's not. He's not one of. The, he's not in Veggie Tales. So. No, true. Because he's not a vegetable. <laughs> that was yeah. That would be silly if he was in Veggie Tales. Correct. Um, yes. Yeah. Look, I can. I can understand why. I guess if you were a parent and you got young kids who love cartoons and love Garfield, you wouldn't want to confuse your children. You wouldn't you want your children confused. Um, I guess this is becoming increasingly more common in the world we live in. Um, however, it's a cartoon cat. We surely we can just be like, whatever. I agree. Uh, anyway, um, let's keep punching through these questions. Next question Google asked was, why do Christians still sin? Yes, so a big change of pace. Mm. Massive change of pace. So, although we have truly been made new in the spirit, we continue, we, we live in a fallen world, right? Like, nothing's perfect. Correct. And we have the innate desire to want to keep sinning. So, so, but what we must understand is that our redemption, which begins, which began at salvation, will not be completed until Jesus returns and transforms our sinful bodies to be like his own. We won't be perfect on this side of heaven. And that's just, that's just reality. You know, Poe bodies nerfed, as they say. What? You've never heard that before? Instead of nobody's perfect, it's Everybody's nervous. Oh, you did that on purpose. Yeah, that's on oh, purpose. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm with you now. I am. Okay. I was, I was, hold on, I missed, I missed it. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. All good. Uh, yeah, cool. I guess we get that as Christians, though. Um, I guess the tricky thing is that for people who aren't Christians, mm. they're like, I guess they think Christians are hypocrites as a result of this, where we obviously want to try and be 
Look, I mean, perfection is the aim, right? We'd love to be perfect. Obviously, we're not. We'll keep we'll keep stuffing that up and, and keep falling short. But uh, I guess non-Christians look at that and be like, oh, well, you're supposed to be all about this Jesus and perfection thing. I guess, yeah. The, uh, hypocrite gets kind of labelled pretty pretty quickly with Christians whenever they make mistakes. Yeah. If you say that you believe in something and then you don't match up to that standard, then people are pretty quick to point the finger at you. Mm. Oh, we'd love to. We'd love to match the standard. We'd love to be like Jesus, but realistically, we our bodies are broken. We just won't, we won't be there until our bodies have been made new and we're in the, the new heaven mm. and the Lord has made everything right for all eternity. And that will be exciting. That will be a very exciting day. Amen. Uh, next up on the list, Nick, is why are Christians persecuted? Yep, another kind of on the heavier side of things. Um, if I was to sum it up real simply, I would say basically people don't like what we are about as Christians. And they want to shut it down. Is that it? I mean, that's like the quick answer. I can, would you like some additional elaborations? If you have some, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be opposed to hearing it. Look, I mean, the level of persecution that happens to Christians is obviously more extreme in some places compared to others. Yeah. Uh, in Australia, I think the worst you probably get is probably some verbal or maybe some online abuse, realistically. Mm. There are examples of that kind of happening. Uh, but yeah, in Australia, it, it's, it's, it's not much of a, it's, it's not as big as what it is compared to overseas. Like I'm thinking, there are places overseas where this is literally, this is literally a life or death thing. I think of places like North Korea, uh, Somalia, Libya, Afghanistan, Nigeria. Look, and there are, there are other examples of persecution which are still extreme, but you're not necessarily going to lose. Like, look, that's just a couple of, of places where you could be killed for being Christians. Actually, there's actually way more. Other bad things could happen. You get thrown into jail in some of those countries or other countries as well. Uh, where they try to kind of cut you off from your family and people, I guess, in your community because they want to stop you from spreading the good news, really. It's kind of why those things happen. Look, and I get that some people would question it as to like, well, like, you know, why don't you just give it up? Or like, just say, or like, just pretend like you're not a Christian so you could prevent yourself being killed. But like, that's the thing. I think that that is how serious we are as Christians, like your your eternal life is at risk. If you were to say, oh, actually, yeah, I'm not a Christian, if you would give up on your Christian faith, we would be giving up something so much more than just our life right here, right now. I think that, that seriousness doesn't translate as easily to places like Australia when it's not as difficult to be a Christian. Yeah. Um, I think that, you know, in, in our comfortable societies, it's... Yeah, it, it's hard to imagine, I guess, how how difficult persecution really is in some places. Like, I encourage listeners, if you want to hear some encouraging stories, some shocking stories, uh, some real-life stories about people who are Christians who live in tough places, go check out the Open Doors organization. They, You'll hear stories about people putting their lives on the line for the sake of Jesus, and it is mind-blowing. What real, what deep level persecution can look like in, in some places that realistically we will probably never face living here in Australia. Anyway, those are my thoughts on, on sort of why Christians persecuted. Yeah, basically people trying to shut down uh, Christians speaking about Jesus. Mm. Yeah, pretty pretty serious deal there. Um, 
So our next question, Nick, on a lighter note, something a bit, something similar to what we've covered before. Uh, why are Christians boycotting Disney? This this threw me when I saw it as an option on Google. This is like a in the last couple weeks, couple months kind of thing. Okay, like it, it's it's yeah. a it's twenty twenty three kind of issue. Yeah, gotcha. Well, Christians are boycotting. Um, basically, they're boycotting Disney due to some of the, a lot of the ungodly content that Disney is starting to produce or they bought out and, and put on their streaming services. Mm. Uh, it's mostly around like, it seems like the common denominator in a lot of these things are kind of references to Satan in a few shows and, and demonic sort of things. With a lot of the examples that kind of get thrown around a lot. I'm sure there are other examples out there, but they seem to be some of the bigger voices. Look, my thoughts are, if this is concerning for you as a parent, look, I mean, you should always review what you what your kids watch before you, should, before you put it on. I think that's an element of quality parenting that I know a lot of parents are big on. And then if you, you review it, if it's not going to align with the values you are comfortable with having your kids hear or see, pick something different um, just because they do some things that you don't agree with. Like, do we would we write off a non-Christian artist um, and ignore some of the great things that they have done because they've got a couple bad songs um, that we don't agree with. I think God still works through unbelievers and has gifted people regardless of kind of where they stand with him. I think a blanket washout of good things isn't a sensible view. I mean, that's, that's my opinion. One could argue that, you know, that's, that's how Satan likes to work. He might wrap up some evil stuff around good things so that we will flee from not just the evil, but we might we'll miss out on good things that you know that God has has given us through through the works of people. I think a, a, a good example of this, which we sometimes we don't take. How am I going to phrase this? Let me. A good example of this, I think, is when you do the kind of walk up ministry. Like Jehovah's Witnesses are are fantastic and phenomenal at doing this. I think as Christians, we look at that sometimes, being like, oh, the whole like walk up thing. We look at that and we're like, mm, we shouldn't do walk up because that's what the JWs do. Like we kind of, we look at that and be like, that's not really like, we look at the whole walk up thing going out there two by two is a bad thing. That's actually not a bad thing at all. Like going out there and talking to people, knocking on doors, all that kind of stuff. That's a fantastic um, evangelism opportunity. And I think sometimes we, we, we take a good thing and it's kind of wrapped in a bad way and presented in a bad way. And we look at that, we're like, we kind of ignore it. We're like, we're not going to do that. I think we got to we got to think about things like Disney as well. Disney do some really great quality stuff. There's lots of great concepts within Disney stuff. There's conflict between good and evil, uh, standing up for what is right, doing the right thing. Lots of like, you know, good biblical principles in, in some of the stuff Disney does. Let's be careful not to write off everything that companies like Disney do. Because Disney's not a Christian company. I'm not expecting them to produce you know, Christian content or anything, but there is good things in what they produce and we've got to be selective in what, we, what we're going to choose from that space. I think a blanket washout is, is a silly thing to do. Anyway, that's my thoughts, but that's, I think that's kind of the reason why people are boycotting Disney. Let's punch through maybe two more of these. Let's Sounds good. have a look at what do Christians say Amen. Good question. So, Amen is an affirmation of truth that's first seen in the Old Testament and then later in the New Testament. The term Amen, meaning so be it, as found in the early scriptures of the Bible, is a word of Hebrew origin. And it originated in the Hebrew scriptures as a reply of confirmation and is found in Deuteronomy as an affirmative response made by the people. Now, the standard English translations of the term Amen include surely, 
truly, and so be it. Uh, The Hebrew and Greek words for Amen appear hundreds of times in the Bible and have several uses. Amen is a translation of the Hebrew word Amen. Okay, transliteration. I don't know if that's a different one. The verb for form occurs more than 100 times in the Old Testament and means to take care, to be faithful, reliable, or established, or to believe someone or something. The idea of something that is faithful, reliable, or believable seems to lie behind the use of Amen as an exclamation on 25 solemn occasions in the Old Testament. So Israel said Amen to join in the praises of God uh, in 1 Chronicles and Nehemiah, and at the end of each day of the first four books of Psalms. Oh, sorry, at the end of each of the first four books of Psalms. Uh, Modern dictionaries define Amen as used to express solemn ratification as of an expression of faith, faith, or hearty approval as of an assertion from the Merriam-Webster Dictionary. To give you some examples or uses of it, of Amen in the Bible, Philippians chapter 4, verse 20 says, To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. 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 And then Romans eleven thirty six says, For from him and through him and to him are all things. To be him be glory forever. Amen. Amen. Okay, cool. I was trying to get us to say it at the same time. I like that you referenced one of the shortest men in the Bible, Nehemiah. <laughs> Nehemiah. Yeah, I get it. Because mm. he's only knee high. Yeah. But yeah, he's knee high according to who? I don't know. I guess so. Yeah, I guess if you're Goliath's knee highs. Yeah, it's probably still, still pretty tall. Probably still quite short. Yeah. Anyway. Um, anyway, second shortest man in the Bible, Nehemiah. Who was the shortest? Uh, Peter. He was so small he fell asleep on his watch. <laughs> 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 yeah, nice one. Oh, classic Christian jokes. I'm surprised I hadn't heard that one before. Maybe I have and I've forgotten. Anyway, uh, Nick, last question. What do Christians wear? Uh, yeah, I guess a, an odd kind of one to get. In my mind, there was an odd one. I was like, well, clothes. You, you <laughs> oh, usually appropriate for the weather? I would hope so, yes. Um, although, usually, there's always that one guy wearing shorts in winter. That's you, mate. Uh, it, yes, it was, that was me for quite a while. It, it still is, but it used to be too. Well, I'm, I'm now 30. I like to dress my age a little bit more. Mm, so they say. Um, that being said, being a PE teacher, I get the, I get, I get the privilege of shorts in winter as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, typically, Christians will dress more conservatively than others, which I think is probably where the Google question was getting at. I'm usually out of a desire i reckon to dress more modestly i mean christians aren't seeking for people's attention to be looking at them and judging them on physical appearance in a purely sexual kind of mindset like we want people to look at us not as objects of sexual gratification uh, but as children of god and that's where we place our identity not in our physical appearance not in our sexualness so christians will kind of dress more in a in a more modest dress sense Unlikely to see, you know, any Christian girls rocking the micro bikinis or, you know, Christian guys cruising the streets with the shirts off. Mm. I think it is tougher for women in this department compared to compared to men. Like, I don't want to come across as being judgmental because I get that as a bloke, it, it's easier for me. Um, and that's not a struggle I've, I've had to go through necessarily. I do think guys can be doing their part to dress more modestly, not about flashing off their bodies in ways that's going to encourage others to view you sexually. Two kind of key Bible verses that frame my 
thinking around this and decisions around uh, my clothing or, or lack of clothing choices, I guess. 1 Corinthians 6 talks about your body is a temple. It's a gift from God. We should be trying to honor God with our bodies as a result of that. That's really important. And the other one for me, Romans 12, which talks about, you know, don't be conformed to the pattern of this world. Just because the world says it's good and it's okay doesn't mean that we should live like that. We've got to think godly in our approach to things. And I get that it's easy for guys to like tell girls, you know, that you have to dress more modestly or whatever. And but then the guys be rocking around, you know, shirts off or whatever. I think, yeah, guys could also be doing their part better to be dressing more modestly. It's definitely a topic that is not an easy one to discuss, uh, especially on, like you said, Nick, as on our side of the fence, because it feels like we don't want to be hypocritical or not hypocritical. We don't want to be like telling people what to do. Yeah. We, we don't, we're, we're not trying to be judgmental um, yeah, or, or try and uh, tell women this is what your problem is. Yeah. Because we don't, uh, we, we have, there, there are problems we haven't faced. We just try to look to the Bible for guidance for everything we do. We encourage men and women to not be conformed to the pattern of the world, but to make good and godly choices with, with everything we do, not just obviously clothing choices. Well, that brings us to the end of the frequently asked questions according to Google. And that also brings us to the end of season two of The Proverbial Powers. Mm. Um, We hope that this season has been helpful. Uh, Maybe you've learned something. Maybe you've taken something away from it. Yeah, we've really enjoyed making it. And we hope that you have enjoyed listening to it. So as I said across from my fellow pal, yeah, we're just saying farewell for now. Hopefully we'll catch you soon. Yeah, we've certainly enjoyed the season. It's been uh, a barrel of laughs for us. We hope hope that you guys may have had a few laughs along the way. Uh, A lot of our our laugh and joke material probably didn't quite make it into the uh, final script. Maybe for good reason. Probably for good reasons as well. But yeah, above always, we've always, yeah, seeking to be thinking about godly things to shape our own lives. We'll do that with uh, dense and serious topics. We'll do that with with lighter topics as well. Because yeah, being a Christian is awesome and it's exciting and it's a privilege that yeah God gives us that opportunity. Mm. And so yeah, we've had fun. We've learned some stuff. It's as always a, a pleasure working with my co-pal. An esteemed colleague and associate across from me in Nick. But ent- until next time, yeah, until the I look uh, season three is why. Well, what are we? What are we thinking? Uh, until we get cancelled, we'll be back. Until Spotify bans this podcast. Yep. Until we, we, we will get... keep rocking up every not every day, every so often. We will. <laughs> that's, a, what's, that's a promise to you. We will sporadically appear in your news feeds sometime in the future. We hope. Until then, uh, God bless. Make good choices. Cue the music. Thank you.